Hello. And, well, and, and welcome to the Word on the Hill. Dude, we are, in, we are face-to-face with you guys today. We are, no, we're face-to-face with each other. Oh, shoot, I always get that wrong. Unless there's a bunch of people somewhere I can't see. Dude, hiding in there. So you don't have the same mystical vision that I do. No, I re- see all of our listeners whenever we podcast at once. Don't say this. Somebody's going to believe you, and they're going to write the Vatican or the Nuncio, and they're going to shut <laughs> us down. And it's going to get complicated. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to deceive you guys or lie to you or pretend that <laughs> I was totally something that Mystical visions that you're not having. Dude, all I... All Do not I, put your trust in those things. Dude, all I want is... Um, all I really want is my own holy card. I mean, like... Didn't you get one when you were ordained? Well, yeah, but it wasn't, like, me on it. Well, it has your name. Yeah, I just... you know. So your I, name is on a holy card. You know what? That's more than I have. That's true. I mean, most people just get it when they die. Well, I was going to say, you'll get another one when you die. So. <laughs> uh, but, dude, this is what I want. Okay, so I want my afro. Okay. But like, Which I, you don't have whatsoever now. I know, dude. I'm totally shorn. We should say that I'm Scott Powell and you're Father Peter Musset. Hey. We, know, yes. we always forget that. Hey, I'm Scott Powell and we're no, Peter Musset. No, none of us. Okay, back to it. So on your holy card, you want your afro? Yeah, yeah. But I, th- my halo, I just want it to be the afro with like a little <laughs> bit of like a gold trim on it, dude. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't that cool. be fun? Yeah. Um, so you guys, um, it's Colorado. It, it feels almost like it's spring. It, um, oh, it did two days ago. It did two days then ago. Then yesterday it snowed and now it's cold. Yeah, dude. It's, so don't, it's don't tease our listeners. I know. So if you're in the polar vortex, then um, I hope you uh, have a good heater. Yep, absolutely. Well, again, we're back together. I'm back from England, so we're in Boulder. I'm happy to be home and looking at Father Peter's face. I'm really happy to be looking at your face, too. Indeed. We had lunch together like usual. We're sipping on a cup of coffee. Oh, my gosh. Some really this kind Really cup. solid coffee. I did, I did doubles for both of us this mm. time. Did that? Mm. Was that good? Mm. Oh, yeah. I'll yeah. take all the coffee I can get. Yeah, you and me both, man. That's like, that's what it is. That's life. And we are looking at the second Sunday of Lent this week. We're just looking at it. We're looking at it. We're going to look at it. We're going to we're gonna look at it. Do you know that every day has a saint associated with it? And just in case you're wondering, March 16th, uh, which is going to be the second Sunday of Lent, is Blessed Torello. Ooh, Blessed Torello. I don't know anything about him. Me neither. He sounds Italian, though. I know, dude. It's like uh, it's like Grand Torino, dude. Yeah. It's what? like Bre- Blessed Torino? Torello. 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 There's a pizza place in Chicago called Aurelio's, which is really good. Ooh. It reminds me of that. Um, I feel like we're like we're just talking. Let's jump in. Yeah, we man. should do this. Do you have any shout-outs you want to give? Um, dude, I saw that Jake Samore liked us on Facebook. Jake Samore. Jake, it is so good to see your name. I hope that you are blessed and doing really well. Indeed. Uh, Wichita, uh, right? Wichita, whoop, whoop, represent. God's country. Dude, and uh, there's the best bookstore, Eighth Day Books, man. Really? In Wichita, dude. Hmm. Here's a shout out. They didn't even pay me for their advertising. They didn't? No. Under the table a little bit? I mean, maybe a little bit. Under the, like, no, little. <laughs> uh, no, you, we, no, 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 I'm just kidding. We're dude, all up on the up and up at the Word on the Hill. This is what I know. Everything's legit. Keep your hands free from accepting a bribe. Done. Dude, he showed no me No bribes his palms. here, see? No bribes, dude. None. Okay. All right. First, second Sunday of Ordinary Time, Blessed Feast of the Torino. No, Blessed Torello. Torello. And we are reading, our first reading is coming from Genesis. We begin at the beginning, which is appropriate. In Genesis the chapter beginning. 12. 
In the beginning. Verse 1 through 4a. In the beginning. Very good. Absolutely. <laughs> Genesis 12, 1 through 4a. We're going to move on to our responsorial psalm, Psalm 33. What verses? Verses 4 through 5, eight through 18 through 19, 20, and 22. 22, 22, and then the second reading. Second reading is coming from the book of 2 Timothy, the second epistle to Timothy, the second letter to St. Timothy. <laughs> You're annoying Chapter me. 1, verse 8b, right? Or is that 88? That's 8b. <laughs> my, my schmuck eye is working. Okay, 8b <laughs> through 10. Did you just say No. Better? Okay. Don't worry about it. And, and then, uh, then what, is that bad? Should I not have said that? <laughs> Maybe that's a little weird. Shoot. And then we got, I got the gospel. messy. I got the messed up eye. A messed up eye. Okay, that's good. Is that better? Uh huh. And then we got a gospel. Matthew chapter seventeen verses one through nine. Whoa, whoa! Let's get all right. Let's get it started. And the bass keep running, running, and running, running, and running, running, and running, running, and good. All right. We are looking at okay. So Genesis twelve, Genesis twelve. No, what did we have last week? We had the the Adam and Eve, right? Adam the garden and Eve. stuff. We had Genesis one. Yeah. So we've jumped now to Genesis twelve. It, here's here's what's kind of neat. Genesis one begins the first part of Genesis, obviously. So Genesis, in large part, is believed to be split into two major parts, right? Okay. Yeah. So there's chapters. <laughs> what's happening to your mic? Nothing. Oh, okay. It's a dramatic slant. It is a very dramatic. But you're slant. at a dramatic angle. So I, yeah, I know. Fair. I was trying to. I was trying to upright myself. I'm. I'm in a barco lounger. Is that I, what that's called? No, I mean, but that's like the old school <laughs> way. What is that's, a barco lounger? That, that's a, for another time. Okay. So, Genesis, but I'm like in like almost like fully reclined. It's position. a ridiculous position. That it really you're in. Is. I don't understand how it's comfortable, but it, I trust that it is. Well, that's why I was trying to adjust the microphone, man. Oh, good point. Fair yeah. enough. All right. Uh, so Genesis, split into two major parts. Chapters 1 through 11, it's what's called the primeval history, right? So if you think about it, all of chapters 1 through 11 is sort of what's going on on a cosmic level. So the first human beings, the worldwide flood, Noah, all this stuff, right? All the animals. So it's all worldwide stuff. Yep. Then in chapter 12, it zooms in. Everything changes, and we zoom and we move from kind of the cosmic level to zeroing in on one guy and his family. And we're going to basically stay with that one guy and his family for the rest of the Bible. Right, so we meet in chapter twelve, Abraham, or Abram, as he's Abram. called at the time. Is is there like a difference in the meaning between Abraham and Abram? Uh huh. I don't know what that is. Abram, let me think about this. I have to dig in my memory banks. Abram means, oh, I can't remember. Maybe I can look it up in the dictionary. What is it? What does it mean? Exalted father. Yeah, that's right. Exalted father, right? So it means exalted father. And then it's going to be changed. It's ironic, though, because remember, if you remember the story of Abram, mm-hmm. he and his wife, Sarah, who's that's going to be changed. It's Sarai at first. It'll be changed to Sarah. Yeah. But they're both barren. They're older and they can't have children. So the fact that his name actually means exalted father and this guy is not able to have kids, yeah. his name itself is like rubbing salt into the wound of this this deep wound he has, right? Oh, man. Cause, well, because name always is signifying mission. Right, which he knows. And and his his mission is not his name is not conveying his true mission or is the mission that he wants to have is his his whole life is sort of in conflict in a certain I, sense right I feel that way I mean I'm supposed to be a rock Peter yeah, yeah. and I'm not always <laughs> and right now you're a rock man you're my rock oh thanks I feel a little bit more like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man <laughs> than our, than our hey, you've rock. been wanting to use that for a long time I have all right but it's going to be changed to Abraham which means uh, father of multitudes. And that's going to be changed when God kind of gives him a new promise. So we'll get to that. So yeah, a- Abram. So we meet him. But but we're already prefiguring that in this first reading from Genesis. 
Because yeah. I will make of you a great nation. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Uh, the Abraham story is great. There, there's there's a number of cycles that Genesis will go through. You have the Abraham. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm great. Okay, you have the Abrahamic cycle. So we get the story of Abraham. We're going to have the Isaac cycle. We get the, um, who's after Isaac? Jacob, the Jacob cycle. And then we get the Joseph cycle. So there's these long chunks of Genesis that tell the stories of these people that we call the patriarchs, right? Yeah. So remember Jesus, even the New Testament talks about your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and da 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 da. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So that's where we are. So Abraham is the, the first of those. And he's got, it's this great story that moves from, um, not just in the biological sense, but in the spiritual sense, the whole story moves from barrenness to fruitfulness, this kind of hopelessness to hopefulness. And it's, it's like a friend, of, a friend of ours, Tom Smith, always talked about the story of Abraham like a heart monitor. So there's this constant up and down, right, depending on where he's at. Sometimes he's good at trusting in God's promises. Sometimes he's terrible at it. And he's, he's just, it's, it's great. We were talking about holy cards earlier, but he's a great example of that the the people in the scriptures are not the holy card images we have of them sometimes. That just these perfect figures that did no wrong. I mean, he's he does some pretty stupid things, as do all the rest of the patriarchs. Yeah. And it really shows that. Actually, um, it, historically speaking, I think this is fascinating. Um, if you think about the major figures of the Old Testament, so we have Abraham, who does a lot of good, but he does a lot of terrible things. He tries to sell his wife off and pawn her off as his sister to Pharaoh. I mean, terrible stuff. Yeah, stuff that's really ignorant. Real bad. And then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and then you get King David and all these figures who, they do great good, but David, you know, killed a guy, had a baby out of wedlock and killed the killed the husband. All, all this terrible stuff. S- same with Moses. Moses, Moses killed guy, like, yeah. uh, Then he bailed out and like got scared. And But here's the thing that's interesting. If you search through the annals of ancient Near Eastern history. So, you know, Egypt or Babylon or Assyria. If you if you read the histories of these great empires in the ancient world, you will never once read about a king who does wrong. You will never once read about a patriarch who falls short. They are they're demigods, right? They do every every choice they make is correct, every war they fight they win. Everything they do is perfect because they are the ones writing their history. You know, the the victor writes their histories, which is the which is the complaint of the modern history. Right. So if you read any of these civilizations, any of these empires, their kings, their patriarchs are always supreme. They do no wrong. It's only only in ancient Israel where you get accounts of kings and patriarchs who fall short, sometimes tremendously short. But that is totally and completely unique in any historical document from that time period to that part of the world. It's it's really fascinating. Yeah. And you almost get the idea that the Bible is stressing the bad parts even more than the good parts. Because I'm sure they do lots of other good, but you almost get the highlighted bad parts of their lives. Yeah, no which kidding. Which is kind of really hopeful in a certain sense because it's showing that, look, the hero, these, these heroes, they're not demigods. They rely on God alone. They are not the ones for us to look to. They're examples and they're models and we can try to do some of the good things that they did. But we don't look to David because he's a demigod. We don't look to Abraham because he's so great. We look to God alone who guided these people. And sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. But it's an important message that, on, message that only the Bible is telling us in, the, in this world of a lot of different voices. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you can see this ex- uh, echoed in the the great saint of um, St. Augustine. Yeah. Oh, which, yeah, yeah. W- w- which kind of, in a very serious way, does this from a first-person perspective. And, like, there's a, just a real humility about the, the humanity mm. that is present through ancient Israel, through the church. Yeah. Like, like yeah, we, and we're not exalted and triumphalistic. 
Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, that's it. No, we're, we're God a, is, but God we're not. Is and that's that's what orthodoxy is is giving right glory. Yeah, or, that's right. Orthodoxy, and so it's doxa like, means glory. Yeah. yeah, and so so the glory doesn't go to the fact that Abram's so awesome, right? Because he's no, not. No, he's awesome when he follows after the Lord, right. and the Lord does great things, yeah. and the promises of the Lord are real and sure, and yep. that's where. So that's why, like, when we turn to here and we and we see the promise of God, mm-hmm. He says, "I'm going to make a request of you, and this is going to be the fruit of this." Right. Exactly. I want you to leave the Ur of the Chaldees. Well, yeah. So we do. We. It's funny. Um, is he in Ur of the Chaldees when we meet him? I. He's got to be. I mean, where else would he be? Well, um, let's see. I don't think he is because here. Let me look. We it actually you, you meet, keep talking for a second. We. Yeah. No. He's in Haran when we meet him. It's. It's in verse uh, five. No, verse four. He was in a place called Haran, which is in what's what's now kind of roughly speaking the Palestine. Um, but because of other historical, actually Acts oh. chapter seven talks about how when he, so there's this whole, this is interesting. There's the tradition that, sur- there's the ancient Jewish tradition that surrounds Abraham. And then there's the pieces of that ancient tradition that we have in the Bible. But the ancient tradition, and it's spoken about in Acts because it's actually mentioned in Acts that God first spoke to Abraham back when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, which is present day um, Iraq, Babylon, becomes Babylon eventually. And it actually, the, the Mishnah, the Talmud, the ancient Jewish rabbis wrote about how God first met him down there. And by the time we meet him in Genesis 12, he has already sort of come uh, a little ways. Mm. Um, so he's met God, he's been challenged to certain things, and now God's going to call him to the next step. Oh, yeah. So so the, the goal is to be into the land of Canaan, mm-hmm. but he went to Haran and settled there in, right. in um, you, you know, 1132, 1131. Uh, yeah. So here's what happens. So when we meet him in chapter 12, in the reading from this week, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, I want, God's going to ask three things of Abram. I want you to, number one, go from your country and your kindred, and number two, your father's house. Wait a second. No, your country, number one. Your kindred. What's his kindred? His extended family, right? Your kin. Your kin, right? So his, his family. His, um, no, there's no other way to say that. That's number <laughs> who, two. Who and is then, your next to kin? Your next to kin. Because I'm going to kill you. Mm, thanks, could, man. Yeah, you're welcome. That's very... Um, what's that movie? That, that reminds me of. It's like some sort of spaghetti western kind of vibe. No, I'm thinking of something... I, I, it doesn't matter. I don't know. Okay, so anyway, he's, so okay, he so has to leave his country, country, his kindred, kindred, and his father's house. And his father's house. What's the father's house? Well, it's a symbol of security. It's the, it's his home, right? Oh. So he has to leave his his country. He has to leave his his security, his home, the place that's his own, and all of his family. Now we're gonna find out, and we're not gonna read on in the mass readings today, at least. But um, who does Abraham end up bringing with him on this journey? Do you remember? Lot. He who is Lot? Lot is his nephew. His nephew. So what do we know about Abram, Abram's faithfulness to God's call so far? Okay, he shanked the kinfolk part. Yeah, he did. It's to- totally subtle. You don't notice. I mean, yes, he takes his wife. And totally that's did not a, even recognize Presumably that. you would take your wife. But yeah, a couple of verses later, it, show, it turns out that he brought his nephew along. And if you're reading carefully, you should be thinking, wait a second, he, God told him not to do that. And if you remember the story, it's going to be Lot who gets into all this trouble, right? He's going to get him into this war, and he's going to get kidnapped, and it's going to be a disaster. And you can look back and be like, oh, right, because he wasn't supposed to bring him in the first place. So this is a great example of how— Lot's wife turns into a pillar of salt. Uh, and it's a mess. Brimstone, Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, like, times are hard. It's a mess, but it's all because of Lot in a certain sense. 
But why? So it's showing, and this is so. This is our first example no, it's all of because showing, of Abraham. Well, yeah, not yeah, because so, of yeah, Lot, yeah, but, sorry, but, sorry. But I, Abraham shanked it and, and invited his nephew. But it's a great example of showing that, yeah, Abraham. Abraham kind of got a B minus on this. Yes, he left <laughs> his country, he left his security, his father's home, but he wasn't completely faithful to what God told him to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's kind of faithful, but he's not totally faithful. So in God the, says, oh. in the nineties, they would have called that half stepping. Hasteppen? Yeah. Let's call it that now. <laughs> so this is what he wants to do, and he wants him to go to a land that he's going to show you. So again, we're, we've been talking about something that hasn't quite happened yet. But God says, basically, I want you to trust me that basically start moving. Pack, pack up everything you own and start going, and I'll show you where you're headed. I mean, can you imagine getting a U-Haul truck, packing up everything you own, getting your family inside, and be like, okay, we're moving. Where are we moving to? I don't know yet, but we're going to get on I-25 and start going. And... We'll, we'll figure it out. The Lord will, uh, God will show us when we're supposed to be there. Right. Can you imagine that? Dude, I'd be like, Dad, are, <laughs> are we, we there, there yet? yet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Get out your GPS. But that's that's what he's called to do, which is a pretty profound thing. So, yeah. But he says, when you do this, then you get kind of step two. What he's going to do, God promises a seven-part blessing if he does this. Seven. I, for some reason, I always think of it as three. There's three major themes within, this gets very confusing. In okay. the blessing that he gives, there's seven pieces to it. And out of those seven parts of the blessing, there are three major things that God will formalize. Three ideas. So what are the seven parts of the blessing? Well, he says, I will make of you, number one, what? A covenant. Because seven no. is a covenant. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. <laughs> it's a covenant. But what does he say? I'm going to make of you, what? What's the first part of the blessing? Um, a great nation. A great nation. So I'll make you a great nation, number one. Okay. And I will bless you, okay, number, two. number two. I will make your name great, three. number three. Do you know what name is Is a euphemism? Not euphemism. A uh, <laughs> uh, idiom for? <laughs> a mission? Uh, no, not exactly. Name. What? Um, I can't no think of clues. No, there's, there's no nature. good clues. It, it's, it's, a, it's an idiom for a dynasty. Oh, okay. So, you know, in kings, in royal dynasties, there's often a name that's passed down, right? So the uh, the Ming dynasty, for example, or the Herod dynasty in, in Jesus's time, right? There's a bunch of different people who are all named Herod. So a name is always a part of a dynasty, right? Okay. So you're going to have a king, a kingly, a royal dynasty. So what I, so if I'm serious about having a dynasty here at St. Thomas, I have to get another pastor named Peter in here. Exactly. Or, or at least get him to change his name. Well, no, they could just be the Petrine priests. So, you know, the, the kingdom of David... Yeah. What do we call all the kings who come afterwards? What do we call that throne, that line? The, the Davidic, Davidic line, kings. Line. Oh, yeah. So it has a name associated with it. That's Got what it. that's what that means. Okay. okay so, so number three, a great name, a dynasty. So that, what? Nation, bless you, name great, so that you will be a blessing. So that you're going to be a blessing. So not only will I bless you, but you yourself will actually be a blessing. The dynasty of blessing. Yeah. So that's number four. And then number five, I will bless those who bless you. So I'll bless those who bless you. Number six, I will curse those who curse you. And then number seven, the, the kind of capstone, all of the communities of the earth shall find blessing in you. Literally, it says they will be blessed by you. They'll be blessed by you. So that, those are the seven pieces of this, right? And if you follow, I encourage you guys to go back, read the story of Abraham. It's really profound. And you can see all the places and the times when these things are happening and when they're not happening. There, there's a time. So I mentioned there's this great story when... Um, Abraham goes off to Egypt, which is something he's not supposed to do. And he goes to Egypt and he gets freaked out that Pharaoh's going to think his wife's really hot and he's going to try to take her and kill him. And so he passes her off as his sister. Remember this whole thing? Totally. So he does this, this lousy move and he gives Pharaoh his, his wife. And do you remember what happens to Pharaoh? 
oh, some terrible thing happens about the house, and he's like, he's like, why did you bring this evil on me? Right, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> That's exactly right. But here you get this kind of coming true. He is, he has got the ability in a certain sense to curse nations and kingdoms, and those who bless him, they will be blessed. And then, but he, he's not. It's basically showing the opposite of this. What he's supposed to do is to bless the nations around him. What is he actually doing? He's bringing a curse upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt and the nations around him. So, um, the, does that make sense? Totally. So this sense. all needs to be kept in the background of the whole story. And again, like we said, out of this, there's three major ones that God's going to upgrade into covenant status. So he's going to make him a nation. So he's going to have a land, essentially. Remember, a promised land. That's going to be in chapter 12, I think. Then No, chapter 15, God upgrades that to a covenant. Then the name is going to be upgraded in chapter 17 to a covenant. You will have a kingdom. You will have a dynasty. And then finally, in in chapter 21, I think he upgrades the uh, worldwide blessing into covenant status. I will bless all the nations through you. So he upgrades all three. Dude, I, lo- I love it. I love that we did, you, did, you just said it was being upgraded. <laughs> well, they kind the of the progress bar will be expanded. Your life force. With, like, <laughs> I just love that. That's the that, best way I could think of this. I thing. totally see the world through video games and progress bars, dude. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> like, progress like, bar. Sounds so nerdy. One up. Upgrade. Dude, it's like, it's like bugs. He gets three more lives. He gets three more lives. They, they, they do some bug fixing. I don't know what that means. I don't either. This is, uh, okay. So, dude, that's cool. So that was a long way around that first reading, but there's just so much packed in there. That, this is the thing. I mean, the church just gives us these, like, what, five lines, but there's so, we have to unpack this. You can't just throw this at somebody. There's so much going on in here. I know. There's so sorry. So I sort of usurped the podcast. So that, that's our thing. That's our deal. That's okay. You're a good teacher. Do you know that a lot of people, they come to me and they like, they're like, Scott Powell is a good teacher, except for when he makes that look. Eyes. Of course, this is radio, so you can't see this no. look. Um, and and Father Peter. <laughs> oh, I man. Appreciate it. Okay, well, so let's get Psalm into Psalm 33, dude. Um, so the, the response royal is, so is let, Lord, let your mercy be on us as we place our trust in you. Why didn't you sing it for me? Lord, let your... I don't know how this one goes. I don't either. Okay. <laughs> That's why you didn't sing it for me. But this is, this is the key to what we were talking about, right? Where do, where do the, 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 the nations of the earth place their trust? Well, historically, the other na- ancient Near Eastern kingdoms around Israel place their trust in their kings and their patriarchs and their great figures. Where is Israel called to put their trust? In you, Lord. Not in our, not in our figures. Not in these people. Not in Abraham. Or, or I mean, this is the thing is don't underestimate the the um the uh uh reality that people had household gods oh yeah totally and so so there's yours right up there on that cabbage patch doll (laughs) dude i found this cabbage (laughs) patch doll the night of the flood and it's like totally absurd and i've kind of developed a sentimental fondness towards that cabbage patch doll i hate it Dude. Actually, that looks like your household god, your little Lego. Oh, my Lego shrine, ninja deity shrine, shrine up there. <laughs> Dude, sorry, no, I. You're just. Oh uh, no, that wasn't meant to be mean. <laughs> I'll put I'll put a picture of that on Facebook uh, that, 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 that's yeah. That my the studio down here is it's got a lot of flavor. It's supposed to be a creative space. How do I label this on Facebook? Father's household shrine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to put this up. Uh, yeah, I, I, whatever. It's it's a ninja uh, shrine. Okay, but um, this is the thing: is that um, I mean, that's part of what God is asking of Abraham is to actually l- not just uh, merely leave 
his uh, the security and the familial realities. He's actually pulling him from the gods that are surrounding him yeah. to rely solely upon the vision of God. I mean, like nobody's hearing the voice of the Lord like Abraham, right? Or Abram, and yeah. so so these blessings yeah. are very serious. Yeah. But but it's also it's also a call to say to trust in only the Lord, not these household gods that he's coming from or the nations or anything. And again, the reality is Abraham's going to fall short. So what do we need? Lord, let your mercy be upon us Mm. as we try to place our trust in you because we're going to do our best just like Abraham will. But we need your mercy to be upon us because we're probably going to blow it. That's sort of the implication in here, I think. Mm. Yeah. So that's our psalm. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it now? Isn't it now? I'm trying to remember if Psalm CD 33 is the one that says, "Let ju- uh, sing a new song unto the Lord." Is that the mm-hmm. one? Oh, okay. Uh, it, 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 does it have the line, um, uh, uh, "Let uh, make justice your, your sacrifice, sacrifice and, and trust in the Lord"? I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Because um, that that's actually one of my favorite lines from the Psalms. No, make mercy your sacrifice and tr- right. No, like let justice, be, let your justice sacrif- be your sacrifice and trust in the Lord. Because at that moment, like. That to me is one of the most useful things when I am trying to find forgiveness and to actually have mercy mm. is this the sacrifice of justice. Because dude, if I was gonna if I was gonna mete out justice to the reality of the people around me, um and, and to the Lord, it's like that's pretty rough stuff. So yeah. um but I just like that the let your mercy be upon us and trust trust. It's like how do I trust in the Lord? Well, I actually have to allow um justice to be his yeah but you also have to get in the u-haul you have to start moving as well (laughs) all right well here speaking of u-haul let's go to second timothy (laughs) nice job you're welcome good segue okay beloved yes bear your share of hardship for the god oh man this is what we were just talking about wasn't it yeah bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from god so second timothy is sort of a beautiful epistle um it's in it's one of what's called the pastoral epistles which is first first timothy second timothy and titus um first timothy so they're written to by paul to two of his pastors that he placed responsible so timothy is the one he left as bishop of ephesus when he left and titus i think he placed as bishop of crete or something like that. So the 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 books are are lessons, instructions on what it means to be a pastor. Now, First Timothy and Titus are more similar to each other than Second Timothy. Second Timothy is sort of a different animal. Got it. And Second Timothy is basically it's Paul's kind of his last his last word, his last letter to the person who was probably his best friend in the world. And his protege, in a certain sense. Yeah. And so it, it's his goodbye to the person he was closest with in the world, to Timothy. So it's a much more personal, it's it's less kind of nuts and bolts, this is the, what you need to do as a pastor, and more, man, you are like a son to me, I want to say goodbye to you, here's some last thoughts, you know, as I know I'm about to get killed, which he does. So it's it's a beautiful way to, so the beloved is in the first, in, in the uh, singular tense. Beloved, you, Timothy, my beloved. Bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. Paul's in prison at this point. So when he talks about bearing your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God, knowing that he's about to be martyred any day, he means that. That's not some, uh, you know, generic, pious-sounding thing to say. (laughs) I mean, it's big time. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not according to our works, but according to his own design. And the grace bestowed on us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now it's made manifest through the appearance of our Lord Je- Savior, of our Savior Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Um, th- this idea of uh, 
in Jesus Christ before time began, but now made manifest. It's all the stuff that Abraham, Abram was moving toward, hoping toward, putting his trust in, but he could not yet see. All the things, that, and, and this is what Paul actually said earlier in Galatians, what made Abraham so, Abraham so great is he put his trust and his faith in something that he could not see yet. That promise is made manifest, it's enfleshed in Jesus, but Abram threw himself and gave himself to it before that fully made sense to him, before he understood what that mercy looked like and the face that it actually had. And it's according to God's design. Right. It's not It's not according to uh, so, something that, that, that we're mustering up. and that, Mustering that, up? What did you say? Hey. Hey. Hey, that's my dynasty you're messing with. Ah, your dude, name, dude, your dude. great name. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, dude, well, actually, you know that uh, to to uh, uh, all a mus is old slang term for all a mess. Oh, yeah. So all a mus, dude, dude. That's like daily mus. Get your daily mus. <laughs> Get your daily mus on, dude. And and yeah, the, the, yeah but yeah, I, muster, <laughs> dude. I um. So I think that everything that you said is correct, and I think that it what I said made it perfect. It's true. It's you know, true. I was just fading. <laughs> I ran out of things to say. <laughs> I could I could hear you. It, it was it was kind of like when you're and, like trying to run and you're like, and, and I'm gonna walk that's now. That's what I got. I got. Mm, that's good. Shall we go to the gospel? Gospel it up, Matthew. So this is the transfiguration. I and have gonna, to say, I, I'm kind of confused. We're going to have to do some work here because- You like, told me you saw the connection. No, I mean, I, well, I did. Because I'm struggling to see that. I think these are all great passages, but I'm kind of struggling to see the common thread. Well, I mean, Moses and Elijah were up there. I mean, Abraham wasn't. No. Why isn't Abraham on the transfiguration? Oh, well, there's a good reason for this. So the transfiguration, right? This is the point, the moment where Jesus takes what, Peter, James, and John- up he to the mountain, he's transfigured, yep. and uh, he appears with Moses and Elijah. So why Moses and Elijah? Do you know why it's Moses and Elijah? Well, isn't it the law and the prophets? Yeah, so so um, this is beautiful, and, and Pope Benedict then, no, he was Pope Benedict when he wrote it, in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, yeah. which I forgot to bring. He has some beautiful reflections on this passage, and he says, okay, who's up on the mountain? Well, it's Moses and Elijah. Why Moses? Moses is known as the lawgiver, right? That's what he fun. He, he did the Exodus, but what he's known for in Jewish thought is he gave the law. He gave the Ten Commandments and then Deuteronomy. So he is, he, he embodies the law. What is Elijah? Well, he was the greatest of the prophets. So he embodies the prophets. So what's happening up on the Mount of Transfiguration? Who's speaking to Jesus? It's the law and the prophets are speaking to Jesus. What are they speaking about? They're testifying to Jesus. Yes, the law and the prophets are speaking about Jesus. So Benedict said, what you see, it's the Old Testament speaking to and about Jesus. It's the enfleshed understanding that everything in the old is looking at and pointing to and speaking to and speaking about Jesus Christ. Which is an enfleshed way to show that. Which is, it's a, I, that blew my mind when I read that. Yeah. It's this beautiful moment. But also, what else do you see? So, this is from the Gospel of Matthew. Luke gives us the exact same story, but gives us slightly more information. It's only Luke, and so again, I'm stealing this from, from Benedict, but it's only Luke that tells us the reason. So, all, all the Gospels, all three of the synoptics talk about the Transfiguration, I think. Does Mark talk about the Transfiguration? I can't, I don't have it in my memory. I don't either. It's slipped. But, Regardless, it's only Luke that tells you why Jesus went up on the mountain. So they all say that Jesus went up on the mountain and he was transfigured. Only Luke tells you why he went up on the mountain. Do you remember what Luke says he was doing up there? To speak about the Exodus, no. right? That's what they were talking about with yeah. Moses and Elijah. But at the very beginning, Jesus went up on the mountain to do what? Pray. To pray. 
And so what Benedict says is what you see in the transfiguration is a prayer event. It's what it looks like when Jesus prays. So he goes up on the mountain to pray. What happens when he prays? Well, he turns bright white. He shones light. Moses and Elijah, the patriarchs, show up with him. They're speaking there. This is what it looks like when Jesus prays, which is really profound. And, and you, he comes off the mountain and he's glowing white. Now, who does that remind us of? Who came down from the mountain and was glowing? David. Was no. Um, um, uh, Micah. No. Are you being sarcastic? Zephaniah. Do you not remember? No, it's Moses. Mm. <laughs> I just, ah, I just wanted to messing with you. I did. I'm messing with you. I, I just like gotta, it. I just gotta keep you on your That's toes, good. man. Thanks, man. Because this is like so. I mean, there's so many images yeah. that are connecting us to, right. to Mount Moses. Sinai. But what's the difference? So Moses went up. He came down. He was glowing. Jesus goes up. He comes down. He's glowing. What's the difference between the two? Um, one is God, and one speaks <laughs> to God. Yeah. So here's what Benedict says. And again, this is this is he's putting this together. But he said, when Moses came down, it was as if there was light shining upon Moses from without, right? Oh. When Jesus comes down, it's that light is emanating from him. He's not having something reflected on him. Yeah. He actually is the source of the light. So it's different. It's similar to Moses, obviously. Yeah. But it's different in that Jesus is actually shoning. And again, he's saying, what does this all come back to? It's what it looks like when Jesus talks to the Father. What does it look, what does Jesus' prayer look like? He actually is lit up like a firework, right? That's what his prayer appears as. And what are they speaking about? Like you said, they're talking about the exodus that Jesus is going to accomplish in Jerusalem, right? Does yeah. that actually say that in here? Uh, that's why I was no, wondering. Why, that's why I was referring to Luke. So Luke, yeah. Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so in, in the uh, Transfiguration, uh, it's a festival of booths, and that's right. why it's Peter... Probably. Yeah. Probably? Probably. It doesn't say it explicitly, but... There's not too many reasons that Peter would want to build a bunch of booths or tents. Yeah. So do you know what the Festival of Booths was? Um, is that where they drank heavily? <laughs> the Festival of Booths? <laughs> ah. That was so subtle. Uh, it was. It wasn't that subtle, but it was really, it was pretty good. <laughs> I like how you have to qualify my joke. No, <laughs> I had to think through it. I know that. It was a thinking joke. I it, had to work through that. Yeah, one. yeah. So why is it the Festival of Booths? The Festival of Booths or Tabernacles, as it's also called. Okay, that one's going to be a little bit clearer to say yeah, on the radio. Yeah, Tabernacles. So the Festival of Tabernacles recalled the the time during the Exodus. So again, we're taking us back to the Exodus to Sinai. It recalled the time when they wandered in the wilderness and they had to sleep in tents or little tabernacles and when God's presence dwelt with them in the tabernacle and wandered around the wilderness. So even to this day, Jewish people will spend the festival of tabernacles or booths setting up little, sometimes more elaborate than others, tents and dwelling in them, remembering there was a time when all of us, as well as God himself, dwelt in tents and wandered around. And so they, they do that. They recreate that. Do you know, I've always had a dream to spend all of Lent in a tent. Have, oh, that's right. Yeah, I did. I, and well, you I, tried it one year. I, I tried it one year. And I, made, I made it one night. <laughs> one night. And I got terribly sick. Oh. And so I was like, <laughs> I was like, and that's not going to happen. It's begging you to do it again. It really is. I still mm. have my tent. You know that this is one of the only times in the scriptures that the whole Trinity is explicitly present. Oh, so think about it. You have Jesus, the Son, right? Yeah. Does it say it here? I wish there was. While he was speaking, uh, behold, a, brow, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. And from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Who's the voice? Father. It's God the Father speaking to the Son. And then, um, oh, well, in the Luke, bright is there a bird? 
The bright cloud casts a shadow, so the bright cloud is, is the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. It's paralleled by the baptism, yeah. in which you have Jesus, again, the voice from the cloud, and then the, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove appearing. It's the only two times in the Gospels where the whole Trinity is explicitly present. They're all there. Which, which we cool. call that an epiphany, right? Uh, a theophany. Theophany, that's what I thank yeah. you for the correction. You bet. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so this is really beautiful, and this is Jesus showing something about who he is. He's revealing his identity to his disciples before they're going to head to Calvary. He charges them to tell no one about this until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead, which is kind of cool because they clearly don't understand what's going on. Um, hopefully they take Jesus' word seriously and they don't tell anyone. After he rises from the dead, I, I always have this great thought of them realizing, oh, he told us about all this stuff and then he was going to do this stuff. Now we get it. And they kind of put the pieces together and they start to tell everybody. But I'm still a little bit con- confused as to what the common thread is between all these readings. Okay. So what does I'm, this have to do with Abram? I'm going to give, I'm going to give a stab at this. Do one. it, man. Cause I've got nothing. Okay. Um, what happens is that the blessings that are promised to Abraham are, are they are uh, the Christological sense of Scripture? They are pointing towards Christ. So even Abraham, Abram's name, is uh, is is actually um, uh, evidential of the inner life of God, the Christological sense of, of Scripture. Yeah. So what's happening is that I'm going to make you a great nation. Um, we what what do we see? We see the um, testifying of all of history and the all of scripture finding itself in Jesus, the Exodus, all of these sorts of things is like, okay, I'm going to, I'm actually going to build you up. And what was promised to Abraham is ultimately going to be fulfilled by Jesus. Yes. Um, and I will bless you. So what ends up happening is that even in the transfiguration, we see a clear blessing from the father, right. a clear um, a mm. transcendence. I will make your name great because from Christ, mm. what we're seeing is we're seeing in the transfiguration, we're seeing a glimpse into what is the true dynasty? What is the true reality, which is going to be this total, utter communion with the father? Well, I do have to note, though, when, when he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, do you know what God is actually quoting? Uh-uh. He's quoting the lines that would be said in a coronation ceremony. So when David, oh, is it David or Solomon? One of them, when they're, when they're crowned as king, this is what is spoken over them. This is, this is the coronation rite in a certain sense. It's also quoting Psalm 7 which is what you would say when a king. So what Jesus what God is saying is I am actually in th- this is the coronation ceremony in a certain sense of my son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, which is what would have been said as a, about the king when their crown is being placed on their heads. Oh, and and he is embodying the new law, embodying yeah. the new prophets. He's embodying all of the promises that were actually given to Abraham yeah. in this moment. And Abraham th- this is the hard part for when we look is Abraham was a foreshadowing. Right. He, he was actually pointing towards Jesus. And so these promises in the fidelity that we have in Abraham, and mm. as much as he is faithful to these, we can see him pointing towards. And then when yeah. he fails, we can see how it does not point towards the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's not it. Yes. And because we can say all of these things, a great mm. nation. Yes, absolutely. I, we see that in Christ, and I will bless you. We see that directly in Jesus. Name is great, absolutely, so that you will be a blessing. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I will yeah. bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all the communities of the earth shall find blessing in you. Curse you. 
curse you is and blessing. Yeah, the, and, and Abram went as the Lord directed him. And Jesus actually has to follow these same things. These are all the promises that the Father speaks into Jesus's life. Yeah. And so, well, so I don't know. That's the connection I see. I mean, like, that's why, that's like why we, um, Jesus has to bear the hardship of the gospel that comes from, uh, like, because like for the good news, he has to, he is the good news and yeah. he has to bear hardship. The leader is not exempt from this hardship. Well, in the Israelite tradition, he's supposed to embody the hardship. I mean, That's he's supposed exactly to take it first. It. Yeah. yeah. There's also the fact that, I mean, if you think about it, again, Abraham has given all these promises. This is so fundamental to the Jewish understanding of the world. Do those things come true in the Old Testament? Or do they have a great name? Do they have a dynasty? Do they have a great kingdom? Yes, they yes. do. So the simple answer is yes. They're like, but there's a bunch of terrible kings and a bunch of bad things that happen. But yeah, there is a kingdom and yes. there is a, a Davidic, right? It's dynastic. Okay. Do they have land? Yes. Okay. There's a land that's promised, but it's a pretty small piece of land. It's about the size of Rhode Island, right? This strip of land that's always being fought over by different nations. It's a thoroughfare, right? But yeah, they have a promised land. Mm-hmm. And then are they a blessing to all the nations in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, that's that's actually the big problem. I mean, that's why we have we get the uh, the parables of the vineyard and looking yeah. for the fruit at the proper time and are they ever to find it. Are they ever a blessing to all the nations? Yes, they sort of are. I mean, even that you—it's not a strict. No, they're terrible. No, I mean, remember, there's times when the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon seeking wisdom, and kings want. You know, there's all sorts of times when they have. <laughs> You're hidden behind your mic. <laughs> when they have some prominence, right? And when they bless other nations and when people come to them. I mean, look at Joseph, right? He uh, he goes to Egypt and it's through him and through his interpreting of dreams and stuff that he's able to bless all the nations. So there's times, there's times when yeah. you say, oh, yeah, but but would you say strictly they are by definition a blessing to all the nations? Well, no, that's pretty lame. Are, are they, you know, is this the promised land that God wants for his people? Well, yeah, it's a strip of land the size of Rhode Island that's always being fought over, which is usually never even theirs. Okay, that's, I guess that's the promised land. Are they a great kingdom? Well, yeah, it's a great kingdom, but they're always doing terrible things. And even their namesake, David, again, committed adultery, murdered a guy, had a child at a wedlock. Did, I mean, is this, basically it, it makes you ask the question, is this as good as it gets? Is this really the fulfillment of the promises? This is what our whole history is based on? The kingdom, the land, and the blessing, this is it? And by the time that Jesus rolled around, I mean, think of what's going on in people's heads. I mean, our kingdom is lost. Now it's Herod, who's not actually Davidic. He's a puppet regime placed there by Caesar. Yeah. The land is not in our control anymore. The little strip of land that we did have is now controlled by Rome, and they're overtaxing us for it. And the prophets say we're not a blessing to the nations. We're an eyesore to the nations, and everyone actually hates us. So wait a second. I thought God promised us that this all come true. Yeah. And so it, it begs it begs the question, if it's not the Old Testament cannot sufficiently answer the question of the promises given to Abraham. It's not enough. There has to be more to it. David can't be their greatest king. That That's as good as it gets. The blessing to the nations in Solomon's time, is that as good as it gets? You know, this land that we have that's controlled by somebody else usually, is that really as good as it gets? It, The Old Testament, if you take it seriously, it forces you to long and thirst for a different kind of fulfillment to these things, right? Which is basically what you said. Yeah. <laughs> and and we find that in Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I was implying. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that that when we see that in in this moment, in this taste of the transfiguration of of some sort of of destiny of right. of this r- authentic integration of these right. promises, right. I think that that I think that that's kind of that's satisfying. I mean, no, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I and 
but the, and the fact that it's <laughs> they're all upgraded to use that term again. But I mean, <laughs> again, the promised land, the land that's promised to us in the new covenant, is no longer just a strip of land in the Middle East. It is all of creation renewed. It's a new heavens and a new earth. It's a ev- refreshed cosmos for pete's sake it's so much bigger than we dreamed it was going to be our kingdom is not just a small political power you know in the middle east it is a common priesthood and kingship of jesus christ that all of us get to actually share in some capacity in the redemption of all of creation right and then the kingdom is all of humanity we get to participate in the one king of the universe and the blessing to all the nations is the catholicos the universal blessing cup that goes out in every tabernacle and every church and everywhere in the world, right? It's so much bigger than I think any Hebrew ever imagined it could possibly be in the Old Testament. So not only is it fulfilled, but it's fulfilled in a way that nobody ever dreamt it could possibly be fulfilled in. And that's what we get to participate in, right? And that's why Peter and James and John want to build some booths. That's why they want to set up, pitch their tent. They want to pitch the tent. (laughs) Unlike unlike Lot, no Lot, just who, salty. Who, who pitched who pitched his tent in the wrong place? He did, man. He uh, and, and so we are trying to pitch our tent in the right in place. the right place. So <laughs> that's pretty good. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm, I'm always happy, but I'm happier now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know that? <laughs> well, uh, all right. There's a, there's a website and it's called We Feel Fine, and um <laughs> and it and what it does is it, it trolls Facebook and blogs and the yeah. internet and it looks for I feel statements, and the number one feeling. What do you think it is out there? Um, like better. Really? I feel better. Really? Yeah, it's really interesting. That's interesting. And then you can yeah you can search and you can search it by time and date and place and weather and. Weird. It's a really, it's a really kind of a cool little thing. But so I, I feel happy. I feel happy. I feel with happy. This. I feel better. <laughs> I feel better too. <laughs> I hope that you, my friends, having listened to this podcast, feel better as well. Let we, you tell your friends. Tell your friends. We also have a question for you because we discovered this morning that in the last couple of days, yeah, we have we had like fifty seven new likes on our Facebook page, which usually we get you know two or three. Every couple of days. Yeah. This was bizarre though. So did somebody give us a big shout out or did somebody tell us, tell you about us for the first time? Let so, us know how you heard about us because we're curious now. And let us know. And we're narcissistic uh, a little bit. Lanky guys at thomascenter.org. Lanky guys at thomascenter.org or tell us on Facebook. Because we would love to give some shout outs to other um, yeah, great absolutely. podcasts or um, some really good stuff. I mean, Websites. We, Websites, uh, people who are really um, making uh, the, the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ known. Indeed. So let us know. We will be back next week for the third Sunday of Lent, and uh, we will see you then. And go. I don't even know. I don't know. That's I a good inclusio, though, from the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, well said. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Bye. Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.